It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On the field, in the broadcast booth, Ron Johnson is Minnesota sports. One-of-a-kind opinions, big-name guests, the teams you care about every every, every day. It's the Ron Johnson Show, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota, and it starts now. Welcome to the Ron Johnson Show. I'm your host, Ron Johnson. Coming up in today's show, we're going to have Luke Inman from the Superior Podcast with Reggie Wilson, Vikings Insider. Tons of great content there with him. We're going to talk NFL Draft, Vikings. And is Rick Spielman, the ghost of Rick Spielman, still in this NFL Draft? Like, do the Vikings fans think he's moved on? Or is his ghost still around this draft? We're also going to have the Daily Three, of course. That's three questions, three minutes. And then... We're going to hit hard on this Carl Anthony Towns disappearance act. Shows up one minute, disappears the next. Is Carl Anthony Towns the guy for this town? Is Ant Edwards now the Michael Jordan of Minnesota? Or can they coexist? Well, I'm your host, Ron Johnson. This is the Ron Johnson Show. My producer is Sam Ekstrom. Sam, as we jump into this season with Vikings football. The draft is here. Everybody's excited. This is draft week. It's like Christmas week. I've gone to the Mall of America four times already. Had nothing to do with the draft just because I got dragged there because my mom was in town and my daughter's birthday and so she loves to shop. But as I was shopping, I started to think about this and I'm like, man, look at all these stores. And look at all the stuff these people are buying. And buying like specifically shoes, because my daughter's a shoe person just like me. I can't even get mad. Like literally, I don't even get mad anymore because I have over 170 pairs of shoes. And so I'm like, I, that's where she gets it from. My wife is like, who she get it? And then she's like, yeah, no, I already know. And so my daughter this weekend, I think bought two pairs of shoes because my mom bought them for her. Um, but as I'm thinking about that, when she got home with them, she put some on the shelf or one pair on the shelf. She wore one to the Gopher softball game. And as we think about, drafting and sports in this town it's so hard in this town right now with all these sports like everybody's you got the twins you got the timberwolves you got the vikings and you have the wild all four right now are in the mix normally the timberwolves are done by now they're at home they're fishing in cancun somewhere but you can only wear one pair and so my, my early question to you sam is what sport has taken your like attention right now like what is the one pair of shoes on your shelf or off your shelf as a sport and the rest are kind of in the closet yeah the the timberwolves have captured my imagination um i went to the game saturday um with the wife oh, had a little date you. night that yeah yeah and that was a late night too that was a nine o'clock start then a three-hour game with a million fouls and a million reviews and then trying to get an uber afterward that turned into a late night for the babysitters but <laughs> That that team has has really captured my imagination. I remember when the Timberwolves were making runs with Kevin Garnett. That was two decades ago, Ron. I mean, it's unbelievable mm -hmm. how long it's been since they've had a team to really get behind like this. But if I look at this past weekend in Minnesota sports, there's a lot to hang on to. It was a perfect weekend. The Wild went 2-0. The Twins went 3-0. The Timberwolves won. Even the soccer team won. Everybody won, and you look at the stars, you know, Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, Kirill Kaprizov, Kevin Fiala, Byron Buxton. There's so much to gravitate to that uh, this is a great question um, because I think that 
any, you know, every other person might have a different answer. For me right now, though, I'm all about the this Wolves run. I'm pretty invested in it. And when you go to a game like I did Saturday, you feel the energy in that building. It's clear that this city really has bought into this team. Yeah, and for me, I mean, I'm with you. Like, I'm, I'm Timberwolves in now. I've been watching every game. I've been, you know, tweeting, live tweeting along with the game. I've been excited to see who's going to protest next. Um, it, it's it's been a fun experience. And so when I think about Carl Anthony Towns getting my attention, and so, and I bought this up early on, like three weeks ago when we started this show, I bought this up. I said, he has to, in the playoffs, your stars have to shine and match the stars. Well, yes, he did shine. I think it was the reverse, though, for the for the Grizzlies. Like, John Morant's 11 points, he didn't match, even though they only lost by one, which is amazing that they only lost by one point and Ja had 11. And it goes back to what we talked about with them being a better team when Ja's not playing. Like, not better, but sorry, a good team. They still were a good team when Ja's not playing. And I think, I mean, long term, if they can beat the Timberwolves, that's going to pay off for them because now when they go have to go play the Warriors – it's the same thought process. Can we leave Ja out when Steph Curry goes out? Can we do this when this person's out? Um, with Ja out, they can. Carl Anthony Towns, on the other hand, he bought out. You know, you had Carl Anthony Towns with his 33. You had Patrick Beverly show up and give you 17. And then, of course, Ann Edwards just consistent, give you 24. The one thing I did not like, and this is me personally, I feel like when you look at Malik Beasley's 12 minutes, it's got to be more productive. Like, and I know you had other guys showing up, so it's it's a game of it's a it's a game of chess. You know, Jordan McLaughlin um, came out of nowhere. I mean, absolutely out of nowhere with the 16 points. I'm watching this guy play. Couple plays, Charles Barkley would have said that was a bonehead play. You know, like when they had stole the ball, they were up, and he was still trying to push it back up the court. I get it, uh, but in my opinion, you stop, you slow down. You let everybody get back down the court, and you use up more clock. That was an ill-advised because John Morant poked it out. They got the steal, easy layup. That's one of those where you have to realize you don't need to run up and down the court to make the crowd hype, but that's a guy that hasn't played much. That's a guy excited to make a play, excited to be out on the court. Even though he has 16 points, still excitement of not getting much run, and he just forced it a little bit. His 14 minutes, 16 points, he had more points than minutes. That was awesome, but that play for me stuck out because they only won by one. That was two points that probably should not have come off or been on the board for the Grizzlies if the Timberwolves slow it down at that point. You make that steal, you eat up clock. Um, and for me, that's this. So the questions you posed to me, and I'm just going to kind of go through them. Carl Anthony Towns in this game, huge. Bounce back game, perfect answer to the critics, perfect answer to the crowd. I liked him and T. Moran after the game, John Moran's dad. I liked how he – I know, I know – what it's like playing against a friend and their dad over there. I know what he said. I know in his mind, like he's telling them, like I told y'all, y'all, y'all keep playing with me. Like y'all don't, you, you, all the smoke. What? Okay, because they can see all this stuff on social media, so he knows exactly what T's been saying. He knows exactly what Jaw's been saying. So that was personal for Carl. Um, I did like the sportsmanship though when Carl was hurt. Job being that's his boy went over there to check on him. Wearing playoffs a lot of times, people, you know, oh, even though that's your boy, man, stop being all friendly. No, it, it's that that man was hurt. He <laughs> fell on his hip hard. Um, is this town Carl Anthony's town or, or Edwards? Sam, what do you think? Whose town is this? I think that people are ready to give it to Anthony Edwards. Um, there's a lot of people that have kind of, kind of 
given up the fight with Towns because of his inconsistency, because of the inability to perform on a consistent basis. Now, are their standards maybe a little too high? I think so. I mean, I think that certainly people in this town have a high, like Kirk Cousins, for instance. We go back and forth about Kirk. Very good quarterback. Does not perform on a consistent basis, though, and people get frustrated by that. Um, Joe Maurer, unbelievable player, probably a Hall of Fame player. Did he hit home runs on a consistent basis? No. People got very upset about that. So we have this bad habit in this town of not appreciating greatness, and we kind of want, like, even more greatness. Carl Anthony Towns is great. Um, but when the spotlight is shining and you only have, a, you know, a handful of playoff games in this town in 20 years – you want your best players to perform, and two games this series, he did not. Saturday, though, I commend him for bouncing back. But I look at the way that Edwards kind of captures the crowd. And on you know on Saturday, he goes out with a knee injury in the first quarter, and when he comes back, it's an eruption. People are mm-hmm. freaking out at, the, at, at his return. They're so enthralled by Anthony Edwards. He brings the electricity. Um I think that people want it to be Edwards' team, and I think they also want Towns to be part of it. I just think that Edwards probably he might have the, the makeup or the DNA to be that number one guy, and if Towns is willing to sort of be his his right-hand man or 1B to Edwards' 1A, I think that's the best dynamic for this team because Edwards is just so composed and so electrifying at the same time. Yeah, and for me, you know, when I, I give it to Carlin Town still. I, I think he has to find his way. Um, he has to learn that Anthony Edwards is an absolute outlet every single time. I think that's why Steph and Clay coexisted for so long. They understand. Steph has no problem letting Clay shoot, you know, 15 three pointers one night because he's just on. And that's the big difference. Clay also knows, hey, if Steph's hurt, I can take over some games. If if Steph has foul trouble, I'm going to take over. Steph, vice versa. When I'm feeling it, I'm going to go. I think that's where they need to learn. That's their lane. I think their lane is is a one-two punch. You know, it, it's like so because people always say Batman and Robin. Who's the Batman? Who's the Robin? I don't even think that's this for those two. I don't think Steph Curry and Clay are Batman and Robin. I I, I put it more like. Um, you know, it's like Iron Man and Captain America. You know, it's two viable leaders, two viable heroes, one with an ego, one who's more of America's favorite. Um, I think that's where this is. I think Carl Anthony Town is kind of the Iron Man. You know, people don't really like him, but they like him. They want him to do what he's doing. Like, win the game for us, sir. Please save America. Please save the world from Thanos. We don't really like you because you're an arrogant butthole, Mr. Stark. Um and that's where I think people don't like Carl Anthony Towns, and not that he's arrogant, that he whines to the refs, that he disappears in games. So he has that Iron Man where he can turn around and give you 34 points, 40 points. You know, he can do those kind of things. Anthony Edwards is kind of the lovable, you know, one-liner to the media, you know, mm-hmm. Anthony Edwards Jr. with his dog. He's like Captain America. He's America's sweetheart. He love they love him now. The media loves him. They're like, "Who I wish I wish we had interviewed this kid earlier in the season." Well, nobody believed the Timberwolves would be where they are right now. And so I think going forward, he's going to get a ton of media attention. Um so I, I can't give it to Anthony Edwards yet. I know that people probably are, but I can't. I, I still think it's a it's a one-one punch. Like I think they are Captain America and, and Iron Man. I, I think they both are viable options. They both can save America. They both can save the world. Um, they just have to learn to coexist. Like somebody has to lay on the wire. That it takes me back to a movie about that. Captain America 
says you're not the guy that would lay on the wire uh, and get electrocuted while people walk over you. And Iron Man's like, why would I just cut the wire? Like, why do I need to lay on the wire for you to walk over me? I got a laser. I'm going to cut it. And and they're both right. Like, they're both right. One person sometimes has to lay down for the team. And the other one's like, wait a minute, dude, we could just barrel through this guy. And that's where Carl Anthony Towns is at times. Like, he's like, look, I'm a brute force object. I have to use it sometimes. I have to be this way. It's going to come. It's the good and the bad. I'm going to get offensive fouls. I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to, I don't know about the whining to the rest, but I'm going to have to tell the rest, hey, they're hitting me just because I'm big. Because it's almost like the LeBron James effect. LeBron James gets gets hit every time he goes to the lane, but he's so big and he doesn't flop. They don't call it. And that's why you see Carl Anthony Towns kind of do the flop because that's what guys are saying. Like, you're so big. If you don't move, we don't really feel like you got hit. If you throw your head back or you, you know, do some weird shimmy, then they can kind of see like, oh, okay, I see where he pushed them, and they're going to make that call. I think the refs need to do a better job of just seeing that. Big guys are getting getting hit. But I call it 1A and 1B. I call it 1-1. I call it Iron Man and Captain America. These two can coexist. One's going to lay on the wire and be America's favorite. The other one's going to cut the wire and get the job done aggressively sometimes, but get the job done. Up next, we got Luke Inman, Draft Insider. Some great stuff coming up. Stick around. Now coming up on the Ron Johnson Show, as promised, Luke Inman. And this is the thing about Luke Inman. He's a draft insider, Vikings insider, been around the program for years. But Luke and I actually have a connection outside of this type of stuff. He He's on the Superior Podcast with Reggie Wilson. As I bring Luke Inman in, I want to tell a quick story. Luke was probably my first videographer for one-on-one interviews. Mm. Luke and I met up mm. in Mankato. Um, Seemed like a cool guy. We had talked a couple times as I was up there covering the Vikings, getting ready for Vikings game day live. We had just got done interviewing uh, Rick Spielman. And so as I'm coming over, I'm like, hey, man, do you mind shooting an interview for me? Because our camera guys had left. And Luke's like, sure, you know, I'll, I'll use my phone. I'll send you the clips. Little did he know that it was going to be Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen. Uh, the reason being is <laughs> Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen uh, we're friends or are friends of mine. Like, like I just was texting with Caitlin Thielen yesterday about getting Adam on the show and what, what days work for him. And so it, it just kind of comes full circle now that I get to get Luke back on my show. I want to first thank Luke uh, because he helped me in my first kind of, you know, rough draft one-on-one. I look back at that footage now and I'm like, man, I've come a long way because that was some some sketchy questions. Um, no, it was some good stuff. It was some good stuff from uh, Stefan Diggs. But Luke was great, man. But Luke, bring you on the show. I want to first get your opinion on the regime because everybody with this Vikings regime keeps saying they want it to be different. It's hard to be different when you already have a pedigree of players that can get you into the playoffs this year. And so mm-hmm. you can't really uh, – throw the bathwater or the baby out with the bathwater, whatever that saying goes. Uh, you think about the Gophers. They've had to uh, rebuild at times, and and Tim Brewster was an absolute idiot when you look at what Glenn Mason had done before him. Um, not an idiot as a person and thinking, an idiot thinking that I need to completely redo, re-recruit, re-change everything when I just replaced a coach that had been at eight bowl games in 10 years. I think that's what this regime is looking at. Like we, they have a team and a quarterback and receivers, linebackers, defensive ends. Uh, we just need to take a couple pieces and tweak it. So what is your initial reaction of this new regime? Well, I think Ron, first of all, pleasure to be on the show. Always love chatting ball with you. I think when you look at this new regime, it always starts at the top, right? I mean, you look at the yeah. Wills and the message they sent 
Kwesi and Kevin O'Connell right out the bat. Hey, we are not going in the rebuild direction. So if you're going to take this job, you have to roll with Kirk Cousins as your quarterback. Forget all that. Moving on from Kirk, what can we get for him? Can we get a first-round pick? Can we package that and get a Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett? No. We think this core roster, this nucleus, is good enough to compete as is. So if you're going to take the job, know that going in. And I think, obviously, they've committed to Kirk. They've committed to a lot of this talent. They got those core pieces back, like Daniil Hunter. Um, and I think that... Looking forward, I think they think at the top, the Wilfs and the rest of the, this new front office and regime, they think this NFC North may be a little bit more wide open than a lot of other experts or fans may think. So I think as far as the new regime goes, you look around the landscape of the league, what's the new blueprint the last five, 10 years? First of all, how important coaching is and second of all it's the new young coaching wave and this pass happy league this the 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 spread them out three four five wide you hear 11 personnel a lot you're going to see a lot of three wide receiver sets with Kevin O'Connell the other thing I think about with Quasey coming from Cleveland working with Andrew Barry there was a few things that they specifically always did when it related to the draft. We're getting into draft week now, just three days away. For example, they always targeted young prospects. I mean, if they were over 22 years old, for example, they just crossed them off the list. So it's an interesting draft class this year, Ron, because of mm -hmm. the COVID and, and you had that extra year. A lot of these guys stuck around an extra year, that fifth year. So first of all, a lot of these guys are older. Are they going to have to bend those rules a little bit? Are they going to have to dip in some more 22, 23-year-old prospects? The good news is, though, when those guys came back for that fifth year, now you got more tape. Now you got more footage, and you can analyze these guys better as they do come out. So it's going to be interesting to see. I, I would expect Quasey to have a similar philosophy as Andrew Barry this weekend at the draft, but they may have to, again, bend some of those rules because of just how unique this draft class is particular compared to other drafts we've seen in the past. And what are your thoughts? So when you, everybody like me, I'm going cornerback. I think it's just a, it's a, it's yep. an easy slam dunk. You can, it's a lot mm -hmm. of cornerbacks in this draft. When you look at Derek, cause I'm not Gardner. I think he's going to be off the board. He's going to go early. Yeah. Uh, they're saying anywhere from two to nine, he's probably gone. Mm -hmm. um, Andrew Boo. And I really wanted him because he's from my yeah. high school. I know his family. Mm -hmm. I know his coaches. Uh, I, I mean, I knew him when he was in Little League with the Michigan Spartans. So I, mm. I, I just really wish that he had come here. But it's not going to work out now. He's gotten too good, too too big of a name. But Andrew Brook Jr., Tripp McDuffie, Derek Stanley, uh, Kyer Elam, Roger McCrary from Auburn's in there. I personally, I don't know if it's the Auburn thing. I don't know if it's because he's a senior. Um, I just don't like him for the Vikings. The thought process, what a lot of people are saying, is draft corners that you're going to get two deals before they hit like 26 and i think mm -hmm. that's kind of the thought is when they're young you can get early high level production out of them and then they're still young on their second deal a lot of these corners being fifth year six year seniors when they're into their second deals they're already 28 29 which is almost retirement time and so mm -hmm. that's the problem if you put them on a first year five-year deal they don't opt in for that fifth year you renegotiate and all of a sudden now but you're already 28 because you came out at 22, 23. So I think that's that's the uh, the equation. I think a lot of people are looking at these young 20-year-old, 21-year-old corners trying to find ways to, 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 to maximize. But here's a scenario that I've been looking at. The Pittsburgh Steelers want a quarterback. We know that. Mm. 
if they think that they have to jump, the Vikings seem like a viable option. They could give the Vikings their 12 or their 20. Vikings give mm-hmm. them their 12. Steelers also give the Vikings 52. And in the third round, the Steelers and Vikings swap. So the Steelers jump up in the third to 77. Vikings jump down to 83. But now the Vikings have acquired another second round pick. Everybody keeps throwing that out there, like Vikings at 20. What do you think of that option? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because when it comes to the draft, I think what everybody, all these experts, the mock drafts and the big boards, you name it, Ron, I think it all comes down to value because we just don't know, right? They're lottery pickets. They're, they're scratch-off tickets. You don't know what you're going to get until we analyze this thing three, four years down the road. So you want as many picks as you can, and you want to try, try to create good value with those positions that you select in what rounds. And I think trading back is just, for me, always option A. Now, easier said than done, right? I mean, you have to have a right. trade partner first and foremost. So a quarterback that the Steelers value highly still sitting there at 12 needs to be there. But that doesn't mean there's not other teams as well with multiple first-round picks. The Eagles, the Saints all of a sudden got two first-round picks. Are they going to want to package something moving up? The Chiefs have two first-round picks. So um, I I think there's a lot of teams that could want to move up. It's a quarterback-driven league. If you don't have one, you got to keep swinging and try to go get one. And I think when you look at the way the board may fall, we just talked about them. Derek Stingley, if we're having this conversation two weeks ago, Ron, Derek Stingley's Mm -hmm. a viable option at 12. All of a sudden – it sounds like he may be gone in the first 10 picks. Amok Gardner, he's going to be gone, like you mentioned. So when you look at the next tier, the little bit of drop-off, Trent McDuffie, I know you and I have talked a lot about. Jordan Davis is another guy that you brought up that I'm really infatuated mm-hmm. about. Can you get these guys if you move down four, five, six, seven spots? And again, get that extra value. The Steelers, I think it was just two, three years ago, they traded up very similar trade situation from 20 to 10 with the Denver Broncos. They gave up an extra first the following year and an extra third this year. And remember, the Vikings don't have a fourth-round pick for tight end Chris Herndon last year. So um, they may very well try to even maybe take a little bit less than they would in years past just to recoup some extra value and extra picks. They moved up to grab Devin Bush. Uh, The Broncos moved back. They draft Noah Fant. And um, I just think that trading back again is always option A. And especially when you look at the Vikings targeting a cornerback, there's a little bit of a drop-off. You get down to that Trent McDuffie. You mentioned Andrew Booth Jr. from Clemson. I like Roger McCrary, although he does have the shorter arms, and he is older. So he may just be crossed off the list altogether. But when you flip on the Auburn-Alabama tape, I thought he was the best defender on the field uh, from top to bottom for all four quarters. I think there's the point is, wrong. there's a lot of options, though, if you move back. And it takes a little bit of pressure off that first round pick too, because as a new GM and a new coach, there's so much pressure to hit on this first round pick. I mean, if you miss on a first round pick, especially an early top 10, top 12 pick, it can set your franchise back two, three years. So a lot of pressure on this first year regime. If they move back, recoup some extra picks, get that fourth and some change. I just think uh, it's a win-win for everybody. And you're still going to get a really good player like a Trent McDuffie, Jordan Davis, um, or a handful of other guys that they may uh, be looking at right now. Yeah, and when you look at everybody kind of slating Derek Stingley Jr. to the Vikings at 12, that's mm-hmm. most, I think it's like 85 or 86% of the mock drafts all think that's going to happen. Kenny Pickett is kind of what the Pittsburgh Steelers is an easy, 
option. I mean, he literally just has to walk like 50 steps over to the Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> right. facility with his equipment from, from the pit uh, area. So um, they, they think that's an easy one for them. And everybody thinks that there's not going to be a quarterback taken until around the 18, 19, 20, because everybody before that, I mean, unless the New Orleans Saints, and that's that's where I think, um, I was going to say Rick Spielman, Quasey can play yeah. games. And not just Quasey, but, you know, we've seen the movie Draft Day. That stuff really happens. I've been in the draft room before. I've, mm. I've been a coach with the Colts, and so I've heard some of those conversations. I remember drafting Pierre Garçon, and, you know, everybody's mm. like, who? You know, and now look at him. You know, I get him as a rookie, you know, first day out there. He and I working out, you know, 7 a.m. together. We're turning around, working out again at 4 p.m. together um, where he's just – and I was like, man, I, I see now what Jim Ursay was saying. Like, Mr. Ursay saw in Pierre what a lot of people didn't, which was this kid works hard. And so this is where the sneaky GM owner picks come, where the New Orleans Saints, everybody's saying receiver and trailing Burks out of Arkansas. Mm. Also, there's a couple other receivers out there that they could possibly take. But that's just kind of the easy, it fits what they do. But do they really have a quarterback they trust? If they can keep throwing this rumor out, we're going to go receiver, we're going to go receiver because we think we're fine with Jameis Winston or whatever we're going to do, and then they sneak in and take a penny kick it, pick it, who to them reminds them a little bit of a faster Drew Brees. He's not Drew Brees, but he's a faster version of this new style quarterback that you need a quarterback that's mobile uh, more Aaron Rodgers legs um, is what he has and so if they can scare people to think the New Orleans Saints are going to take their guy then maybe the Steelers will want to reach out to the Eagles the Vikings the Ravens um, and the Seahawks to say hey do any of you guys want to let us get up in there because we want to pick before the Saints and that's that game that GMs play. So in my opinion, I think it can happen. I'm excited about Thursday. Um, but last quick one for you. When you look at all the potential draft picks, and I, and I know this is a wild card. This is like re ridiculous reaction because people are going to be pissed. Do you think there's a way that Quasey can end up like Rick and have 15 or like 12 first round picks this year? Or not first round, sorry, draft I, picks? What, again, I go back to value, and I know that kind of irked a lot of fans, but again, they're lottery tickets. I mean, look at how many late-round guys, day three or even undrafted, say, that the Vikings kind of hit on over the years. Anthony Harris, J. Ron Curse, Everson Griffin's mm -hmm. a fourth-round pick, um, Stephon Diggs' fifth-round pick. You just don't know. It's so hard, like you mentioned, to evaluate these guys. You mentioned Pierre Garçon, a great example there that it's just tough to, to take all the different variables. There's a lot of different wild cards and a lot goes into this. And I just think the more chances you give yourself, the better odds you have on a great return value-wise two, three years down the road. So um, do I think he'll end up with those 19 seventh round picks? Probably not. I think those days are long <laughs> gone now, now that Rick's gone. But I wouldn't be opposed to, again, trying to stockpile, not just this year, but next year as well. You know Quasey and Kevin O'Connell, um, you know, they're not necessarily going to be on a short leash. I mean, they should have a four or five-year window here to kind of build and develop and bring in their own kind of player and personnel guys that are going to fit their system specifically too. So um, I wouldn't be opposed to it, Ron. Um, but I just don't think that we're we're, we're going to see the days of Rick trading back nine times on day three and recouping all those seventh round picks. Well, I want to thank Luke Inman for joining me on the Ron Johnson show. Luke, I want to give you guys something for your show. Think about this name. 
Christian mm. Watson out of North Dakota State, Ooh, 6'4", baby. 208 pounds. He can stretch the field. So everybody was talking about the kid from USC, but that's more of a guy you have to jump in the first. Christian is a guy that will be there in the second, third round, possibly depending on how this draft falls. They have him as the 48th to 50th, 50th ranked mm. player. So he's a top 50 lock, allegedly is what mm. the, the senior bowl likes to call him. But he's a guy to keep an eye on Vikings fans because if the, if the Vikings can't find a way to trade back, now in the second round, you can take another receiver and you get a 6'4 body that you do not currently have because Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen both have size, but they're not 6'4. And now you add a true red zone fade route threat to this high-powered offense. You still have uh, KJ Osborne. So now you have four legit receivers and you can make some hay on this offense. So again, Luke, I want to thank you for joining the Ryan Johnson Show. Have a great day. Hey, let me say this real quick here too, Ron, just to, just to touch on that. You mentioned it. There is a lot of great receivers in this draft. I'm glad you mentioned Watson. Yeah. Ran a 4-2-6 at, at 6 foot 4, 205 pounds. But you look at the second tier of receivers besides the Drake Londons, Chris Olaves, Garrett Wilson, Jahar Dotson, Sky Moore, George Pickett. There is a ton of great value if they don't go receiver at pick 12 that they can get at pick 44 in the second round. Glad you brought that up. Yeah, no, because even John Michi at Alabama, like they have him down oh, there in 80th pick, you know, and so mm -hmm. he killed it at Alabama. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of guys out there. But up next, we got the daily three. That's three questions, three minutes. Stick to stay tuned. And now it's time for the daily three. That's three questions, three minutes. Take it away, Sam. The protests continue in the Wolves playoff series for the third time in five games. Protesters on the floor. One of them jumping over Glenn Taylor's wife, uh, getting tackled by an alert security guard. The other one videotaping the whole thing. It was a big to-do uh, in the second quarter, I think, of, of Saturday's game. Have the protests gone too far, Ron, uh, with these protesters uh, trying to make a statement about animal rights? Well, the fact that the Timberwolves are 3-0 and in protester games, I'm going to say no. Like, they're not hurting anybody. They're hurting themselves. I mean, they're hitting the hard, the ground hard. They're getting tackled. They're gluing skin to the court. Um, they're chaining themselves. Like, they're hurting themselves. What they're doing is, like, taking poison, eating it, and then expecting your enemy to die. Like, what they're doing is literally making a mockery of themselves. They're spending the night, maybe a night or two, in jail. Um, it, it To me, it's just dumb. But, hey, for some reason... The protester is the infinity stone, final stone for the Timberwolves. It's like, you know, big, big bucket from Anthony Edwards. That's the first stone. Uh, big, big play from Carl Anthony Towns. He gets excited. That's another stone. And that's for those that don't understand the stones is the infinity stones from the Avengers. Thanos gets all six stones and absolute chaos and mayhem ensues. And he is the strongest man in the world, can snap his fingers and make everybody disappear. Iron Man can do it. Flip it around. If you haven't seen it, sorry, I just ruined both movies for you. But then the third stone will probably be a Pat Bev tech or antic or something or a, a celebration. The fourth stone will be an ill-advised timeout from Chris Finch uh, or an actual timeout being used in the crowd getting energy. Like they're getting energized with every stone. Thanos gets stronger and stronger. The fifth stone, I'm going to say probably like a celebrity in the crowd that everybody's like, oh, I didn't know Craig Kilborn was here. I didn't know Josh Dumel uh, was a fan. I didn't know Nick Schwartzen uh, watched Minnesota sports. Um, that's the dude from Reno 911 with the bikini shorts on. 
Like, that's the fifth stone, some kind of celebrity. And then the sixth stone is the protester. When that protester hits the court, the Timberwolves are invincible. They are unstoppable. They can snap a finger and make half the, the, the shots that the uh, Grizzlies take disappear. Like, that to me, it's the six infinity stones, and they are the six. When we get a protester, they're 3-0, and oh, and so I don't think it's gone too far. Nobody's been hurt. Nobody's been, you know, injured in this. They don't try to hurt the players or, you know, you know, get in their way. It is dangerous, though, because you're jumping over people and all that stuff. You can hurt fans. But, hey, if they're winning, I, I think somebody's going to do it again in the next two games uh, just because. Because now it's become a fad and it's getting tweeted. Yeah, and even if even if they don't care about the animal rights, someone's just going to run on the floor just to, to change up the mojo. Um so Byron Buxton returned from his injury over the weekend. Unbelievable weekend. Twins sweep the White Sox, by the way. They've moved into first place somehow in the division at 8-8. Eight and eight. Buxton, mm -hmm. 4 for 4 on Saturday. Then yesterday hits a two-run game-tying homer in the 7th, three-run walk-off shot in the 10th. What do you think about Byron Buxton's return, Ron? It was heroic. I mean, it, it's what everybody's been saying. What can this team be? Who is this team? When Buxton and Correa were out there, it was great early on. Um, Buxton is a highlight reel. He he sacrifices his body too much sometimes when he runs into the wall, hurts his toe. He's out for the year. Um, you know, again, I don't know if it was a weird slide or what happened, but it hurt, you know, knee soreness with a weird slide. Um, that's That's the things where you look at Buxton and he is – you know, you put them up there with the greats now of young talent in Minnesota with, uh, like you said, Justin Jefferson, Kaprizov, and now Ann Edwards. Now you have a Byron Buxton. Um, it, it, it just it gives energy to the, to the city as a whole. Um, just being so downtrodden and so negative. Uh, Lavelle, you know, saying the White Sox, and it's, you know, it's going to be their series. But, uh, you know, of course, unless Buxton, but I think he was on KFAN, and he said that they were going to get swept. You know, that the Twins were going to get swept by the White Sox. And then, you know, Buxton comes out, rides out on his white horse and saves the day. But this is the thing I'll say. I've always talked about the 10 games. You know, the first 10, second 10. And now without even finishing the last, I mean, they have four games left. So let's, let's hold our horses. I always say, let's go 10 and 10. But the last 10, they're 6 and 4. So they are headed in the right direction. These next four, one, can Byron Buxton stay healthy? Two, can Carlos Correa bring up his end of the bargain with all that money they've been paying him. And, you know, can we have two exciting bats at the plate, two exciting fielders where, you know, teams are like, man, okay, this team's for real. And then the pitching, though, it, it comes back down to the pitching. At the end of the day, you can make all the plays in the world. You can have the hottest bats. But if your pitchers are giving up run after run, hit after hit, and they can't find a way to find the strike zone, it's just, it's just a, it's a carousel of trying to find the right pitching group to come in you're not going to get it done. But yeah, like I said, they got four games left of this last, this, this final 10 of 20 games. And there you go. But yeah, they're, they're in the lead. They're in the lead of the AL central. Um, eight and eight though, 500. I think the goal, if that's the goal, then it's what 81 and 81. If they can do that, Hey, they got something going. People do need to slow their roll though. When, when they start tweeting out best player in baseball, Byron Buxton, yeah. MVP. Let's let the guy play 100 games first. Let's see if he can stay healthy because a lot of guys have unbelievable stretches. And I know Buxton is exceptional. 
uh, stat I have. Since 2020, he leads the MLB in slugging percentage. That's great. I love it. Let's see him do it for an extended period of time before we declare that he's the best player in baseball. Let's not put too much on the guy. Let's just hope that he stays healthy. Um, I've got one more for you, Ron. So it's draft week. I want to ask you a fun draft mm-hmm. question. What's your favorite Vikings draft pick in the last 10 years? In the last 10 years, that's a that's a tough one. Like, I, I, I'm going back in, in that era, and you got to look. There's a lot of good options. You got Daniil Hunter. You got Harrison Smith. You got Dalvin Cook. You got Eric Kendricks. Uh, you got Barr. Um, you know, Adam Thielen, of course, was undrafted, but you still, I, I still like the Adam Thielen acquisition. Uh, Stefan Diggs is one that really stands out for me, though. When you think about Stefan Diggs and everything he's done for this team, everything he did for the city with the miracle. But if I, but if I'm thinking about it, um, I got to go Justin Jefferson. Like Justin Jefferson took the world by storm. Not just the Vikings fans, not just you know football fans, the world. I was at the Gopher softball game this weekend, and and we're gonna have Coach Ritter on the show uh, coming up soon at some point once the college you know softball championships start. Um, but I, I was able to watch girls celebrate before they went out onto the field and they're grittying to third base and short. Like they are doing the gritty in college softball. I saw a hockey player finally pull off the gritty on skates. I mean, yes, Justin Jefferson did not create the gritty. His college teammate did, uh, but he made it famous. He made it more famous than Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase just has more, uh, variations of it, I guess I'll say. And they went further in the Super Bowl, or not in the season, I mean. They went to the Super Bowl, and he he did it a lot more this year. Um, it was a lot more exciting in some of his games, having three-plus touchdowns and, you know, two-plus touchdowns, 200-plus yards in some games. So it was just noticeable. But Justin Jefferson is still the gritty king. He still made it worldwide. Not, not local, not Minnesota, not even just football across the NFL. John Morant gritties. I mean, you got guys in the NBA. You got baseball guys. You got hockey. You got soccer. I saw a rugby guy in a different country do the gritty. Like, Justin Jefferson is international. He's international. I mean, other than Randy Moss, there's not a lot of international football players. There's Tom Brady. You know, you got Drew Brees. You got Aaron Rodgers. Those guys are internationally known. Kirk Cousins might be internationally hated because everybody talks about it, but he's not internationally known. Justin Jefferson is internationally known. People might not even really understand he's a football player, but they know he's the gritty king. And that's what's so crazy about that pick is that the Eagles could have had him. Thank you for making that mistake and going to get somebody else who's going to be okay probably. But he's not Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson is my favorite draft pick in the last 10 years. That man is internationally known. And that's what I that's where I'm coming with it. Yeah, it's hard to go wrong with that. I loved covering Diggs just because he was kind of this diamond in the rough, and you knew immediately yeah. he was unbelievable. You could tell right away, and you, you're looking around saying, How did this guy fall to the fifth round? Injuries. I mean, he fell right in their lap. That's probably the the best value pick, obviously, the last ten years for the Vikings. Yeah, and, and you know, even with injuries though, Stefan Diggs being a a, a five star high school receiver and not going to Ohio State and he picked Maryland because he wanted to stay home and be close to his family. I think that too, if, if he's if he's somewhere else other than Maryland, even with an ACL, 
like if he's at Ohio State, I still think because look at Michael Thomas, his was injury and he still went in the high. You know, I thought he should have been a late first round, but he went a second to the Saints and the Vikings should have took him. But you know, I have that on record saying that on TV. Um, but you know, Stefan Diggs did not pick Ohio State; he picked Maryland, and I think that was a it was a it was a product of that all of that that he fell into the Vikings' lap. So I'm glad it worked out that way. Well, that'll do it for the Ron Johnson Show. I'm Ron Johnson. That's Sam Metro. I want to thank you guys for joining us. Please subscribe to the Ron Johnson Show and Locked On Sports Minnesota podcast on YouTube. And you can also subscribe, download, and listen wherever you are, anytime, anywhere, online, offline, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ron Johnson. Have a great day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.